This episode is brought to you by the Shop 1 in 5 Pledge. We believe that when you purchase from a small online or offline business, your dollar goes further. Hey friends, Mina and I created the Shop 1 in 5 Pledge, and we're inviting you to take it with us. It's a commitment to make one in five of your purchases from a small business online or offline. It's a way to make an impact together where and when it matters most. Because the truth is, your purchasing power matters now more than ever. Head to shop1in5.com to take the pledge. Make that commitment to shop one in five of your purchases towards a small business. We also invite you to shop the directory if you don't know where to find other small businesses. It's right there on the page. And we're asking for you to share the pledge. Imagine if each of us told three to four people about the Shop 1 in 5 pledge. It would be an incredible and life-changing for so many small businesses. Tell your friends, your family, and your social network. It costs nothing extra and makes a world of difference. Our purchases have the ability to change lives. Okay, let's jump in. Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlosita, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. In introducing the other half of the Product Boss, Jacqueline Snyder. She has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Product Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Snyder, with my book-loving co-host, Mina Kunlo-Sitap. Hey, Mina. Hey, Jacqueline. All right, friends, we have a very special episode for you today because we are thrilled to have our friend, Allie Kriegsman, on. She is the co-founder and COO of Bulletin, and now she's the author of How to Build a Goddamn Empire. Welcome to the podcast, Allie. Thanks for having me, ladies. So excited to be here. And yeah, just really excited to chat with you and connect with your audience today. Hi, everybody. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. And I know so many of our students in our community, they sell on Bulletin. Um, So would you mind first and foremost, just telling everyone if they haven't heard about Bulletin, what that platform is? Yes. Bulletin is a wholesale marketplace that connects retailers with the best brands on the planet. We are similar to other wholesale marketplaces in that we offer really generous financial terms to both brands and retailers alike, but we're a bit more curated and thoughtful when it comes to the brands we bring on, the discovery experience, and we're all about quality over quantity over here. Um, Bulletin is also different and I think a bit special in that we started out as retailers ourselves. Uh, We used to run retail stores all around New York City and Prior to launching our wholesale marketplace, we had already at that point worked with hundreds and thousands of brands and scaling their distribution in our own stores. So we built the marketplace with merchants and retailers and buyers in mind, creating the most seamless discovery experience possible, um, making sure that they're seeing the best brands, all the most on-trend products. And yeah, it's been really awesome. We launched at the end of 2019 and we're at almost 7,000 retailers now and about 1,300 brands and growing. So come check us out. We, we want to meet you. Um, and obviously the product boss has been really exceptional in introducing us to great brands uh, and retailers and hosted a panel with us just a few weeks back. So we've, we've definitely enjoyed working together for sure. 
Yeah, I think it's a, a little bit of a match made in heaven. We just actually had done a panel with Allie and Bulletin just facilitating the growth of small businesses. And I think that, you know, you at all of you at Bulletin are are so collaborative and so education forward and and all of that. It's just a dream team, I feel like, when it comes together. So what we wanted to talk about really too is so you wrote a book, right, Allie? And so during this time, yeah, you wrote a book, plus you have Bulletin. So there's lots of things happening as far as that. Like, could you kind of work the timeline into that for us of how that came about while you were building Bulletin? Yeah. So when we were running retail stores, we were in the New York Times. At the time, we ran stores that exclusively hosted female-founded brands. And we pioneered a co-retailing model where we gave brands a real-time sales dashboard and customer feedback dashboard so they could track their in-store sales and performance and collect feedback from our store associates in real time. A lot of people don't know about that because we were a retailer that was really kind of emphasizing our consumer brand and uh, trying to target consumers. So we didn't talk up the B2B side of our business all that much. Um, But when we were running those stores, uh, we were in the New York Times and I was approached by a literary agent who um, I guess appreciated a funny quote in, in the story and, you know, asked if I wanted to write a book about entrepreneurship and building bulletin. And if I, if I were to write a book, what would it talk about? So I ended up putting a proposal together. And then in 2018, at the end of that year was when everything finally came together. I got the book deal and, you know, got sign off to write the whole book. So that was that was definitely really intense um, and felt very daunting. I think it's much like starting a business where you see this giant Mount Everest that you have to climb and you can get really anxious about the uh, destination rather than kind of breaking down the journey into little bite-sized pieces. So yeah, it was definitely overwhelming to realize like I had to keep building and growing my business and write a book at the same time. How would I find the time? How would I make it happen? And then to compound that, we decided to build and launch our own wholesale marketplace and become a tech company at the end of 2018 as well. So we spent, you know, the first 70% of 2019 building this tech platform, scoping it out, getting brands on board, getting beta retailers to use the site and give us feedback. Um, And so it was, it was very unexpected to be like writing this massive book and pivoting and growing my business all at once. But yeah, we launched the marketplace at the end of 2019. Uh, The book was supposed to come out in September of 2020, but we postponed it due to COVID. And yeah, we grew really rapidly and, and all organically last year. We were just about to turn on paid marketing and paid acquisition, and I run the growth team. So kind of doing that brute force growth while writing a book was definitely a doozy, but um, I feel really lucky because the work I do at Bulletin directly supports and empowers small businesses. Um, And the book does the exact same thing. So it it was just really exciting to be able to marry my love of writing with the way I love supporting and serving independent brands, retailers, and small businesses and see that all come together. And what I love in your book, um, so it's, it's definitely, it's stories, right? It's small stories about businesses as they're growing empires, which is what we're all about, right? We, we're about makers and manufacturers and, and retailers building empires out of their homes. Um, so you have chapters that are like, the business you start isn't the business you'll run or gr- grow slow and more dough. So I love that you just demystify the world of entrepreneurship in real time. And the coolest thing about you and for all of our product entrepreneurs out there is that you see both sides. So you mm-hmm. work with the retailers and you work with the brands. And so that bringing it together, I think, um, 
oftentimes the brand is curious, what does the retailer need or want? And then, and then the retailer is like, well, what are these brands thinking or who, how can I get what I want? So I love that you sort of have that behind the scenes knowledge. So tell us a little bit about what's inside the book um, for our product classes. Yeah. Um, I don't know how either of you feel. And I feel like we've had a lot of candid convos in the past, but maybe haven't covered this topic. Um, because I don't, I don't know as much about how, how and why the product boss started, um, and how you felt getting that business off the ground. But when I started bulletin with my co-founder and our CEO, Alana, I actually felt very lonely and alienated by the version of entrepreneurship. I was getting fed by the press, by Instagram, by a lot of these household name founders on the cover of magazines, raising massive and massive amounts of venture capital. I felt like, you know, the kind of typical version of entrepreneurship that I was seeing and hearing about, um, was very glamorized. It was always kind of speaking to the winds, speaking to the highs. And there was a lack of interest and appetite or vulnerability around communicating the lows and the anxious and depressive moments, which I think all of us have and are all too familiar with. So the first thing I wanted to do in, in piecing the book together and deciding the tone and the angle and the cover the coverage was one, just making entrepreneurship more real and accessible for current or aspiring entrepreneurs. I think that when we see women crushing it on Instagram or getting these magazine covers or, you know, going on how I built this and kind of talking about how they, you know, stumbled their way through success, um, it can feel very far away from the real lived experience of small business owners or earlier stage startup founders. Um, So that was one. I just wanted to kind of like tell it like it is. The book is very raw, real, vulnerable. It doesn't kind of weave in any of this toxic positivity that we see on social media or in the press. Um, So that's one thing. And then I think the second thing is, I know that not everyone can relate to my journey. I, you know, haven't raised nearly as much funding as some other founders or businesses, but we are a venture-backed business. We've been a venture-backed business since we Uh, took on venture financing after bootstrapping the business for a year and a half. And I'm blonde and I'm small and I'm white. And the opportunities that I've been afforded are because of all those things. And so it was very important for me to feature other women from different backgrounds that have financed their companies differently, building companies of different stages and sizes, because I want anyone to be able to pick up this book and relate to someone's journey, even if it isn't my journey. So what that looks like in practice is you'll hear about me and my experience, you know, dealing with imposter syndrome as a non-technical, non-engineer founder building a technology company and the voices I had to silence and the things I had to tell myself in order to get through every single day of doing this seemingly impossible thing. Um, But you'll also hear from a chorus of other women that have very different experiences with imposter syndrome and what that looked like and felt like to them because they just simply have different backgrounds and are building completely different companies. Um, Another example is brand building. Um, Brand building for a consumer business, which is what we used to be as retailers, looks very different than brand building a B2B software company, which is what we are now. So going through that process and that pivot um, is something I was excited to put into the book. But I also know that, you know, a lot of people can't brand build with my budget. So what did it look like for a bootstrap beauty founder to build her brand after graduating from UCLA? Um, What did it look like for another founder to build a unique brand in a very competitive space? So we kind of go through the nuts and bolts of everything that an entrepreneur has to kind of deal with and tackle, whether that's hiring, firing, knowing what to invest in, what not to invest in, uh, imposter syndrome, negative self-talk, 
you know, growing slow versus growing fast, picking a financing vehicle. And you hear about my experience making those decisions. And then you hear from 30 other women uh, that had to make those judgment calls as well. Wow. I love all of that. That was incredible. Uh, sign me up. I want to be in the book. Like, no. <laughs> I, look, I've been working on the pitch. I've been working on the pitch. I'm glad it landed. <laughs> so I want to read this part from you. Um, this is what you said about the book. Okay. So it says, most importantly, I'm trying to help founders and especially women redefine the word success with every single chapter. There is an intrinsic and long-term value to building something of your own, whether you sell your company, crash and burn, or forever teeter on the precipice. My book argues that success, in air quotes, has many faces and sometimes learning, growing, and building something on your own terms makes you successful enough. Beautiful. And thank you for saying that and putting it out there because I think exactly what you said, there's this measure against the unmeasurable and like it feels impossible. And we really try and tell our, our students in our community that there's many paths to profit and everybody's dream life or ideal life looks different. And the business you build can align with that because we're not about saying it's this way and that's mm-hmm. it. And I love it because I also think that to be honest and to be vulnerable, the whole idea of venture capitalism and, and mm-hmm. investment, Mina and I have always bootstrapped and started our own things and we've built yep. seven figure businesses from scratch. When people talk about venture capitalists, right? It's like, I don't know. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, I think there's an education there, right? Like sometimes as a woman, I feel dumb. I feel like, yeah. I feel like I'm not measured up to that, but I can create seven figures from nothing without that. And so I love that you're sharing all these different stories with us because each woman or anyone who decides to read your book out there will see themselves in one of these 30 stories. Yeah. And if you are looking for, you know, a like venture, venture capital 101 lesson, there's an entire chapter dedicated to what venture capital is. There's an entire glossary that explains terms that are used in venture capital conversations, whether it's valuation, cap table, series A, seed funding. What are these things? I had no idea. I started Bulletin. We bootstrapped Bulletin for a year and a half starting when I was 24. And then we took on venture financing. And I write about this in the book. For the first conversation we had with an investor, I literally asked an engineer acquaintance for a script. Like literally I had him slack me a script because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know the terms and I didn't want to come off as, you know, uneducated or silly or naive. So I felt like I wanted to create a kind of chapter that is kind of a boot camp on what venture capital is, who should take it, who shouldn't, what do these terms mean? Does it make sense for your business? Because I didn't have something like that when I was first starting. And genuinely, I think had I known more you know, maybe we would have made different decisions or adjusted our financing timeline a little bit. So for me, I think there's no harm in not knowing. And I think the more that I can, you know, speak in layman's terms and, you know, prop, like uh, straightforward English uh, to explain what these these terms are in a way that makes sense to a large group of people, um, that's kind of what I see as my duty moving forward and, and a way to pay it forward. Yeah. I mean, the awareness is so helpful, you know, raising two little Asian girls in Iowa, for example, even having that representation of what their lives could look like now. Um, We were just having a conversation with my parents because, you know, everybody's getting their stimulus checks along with, you know, them building up businesses, they're bringing up um, stimulus checks and I I won't be getting one. (laughs) And I was like, but how crazy is it to think like, I was like, I sat in that for a minute. I was like, that is one of, I didn't even realize it 
that that was my version of success, that in one generation, I actually did not need a stimulus check. Yep. It came here with nothing. And then in one old. generation, you know, yep. so it's crazy, yep. right? Like that's mind boggling to think, wow, I changed. I'm exactly what they wanted me to be. And then, but yep. it wasn't represented for me. So me representing, representing that for my kids is just, you know, to have that for them is like, they would just think that of it as like, of course, why not? You know? So I, yeah, I love that you put so much different representation into your book. I think, and I think that that's kind of why we need to create these different metrics for success. Like you said, Mm -hmm. Um, not everyone, because venture capital is such an insular boys club, not everyone will be able to become the, you know, Whitney Wolf and Bumble of their lives uh, because Mm -hmm. there are certain things about, the venture capital system that elevates certain founders over others. So, and that needs to change. I'm not saying that doesn't need to change. And I have a whole chapter on that too, but it's kind of, it's silly for us to compare ourselves to successful women. We don't know because we have no idea like the details of how they got there, who they knew, what transpired behind the scenes. And all we can do is control for ourselves and our definition of success, given our backgrounds, our resources, and what we can control. So this even came up last night. Um, I was talking to my my boyfriend's mom because I had a really tough week, um, like just personally, professionally, was dealing with a lot and was getting really down on myself. Um, I mentioned before this that, you know, February with wholesale was definitely a tricky month and things are now turning around with the vaccine announcements. Um, But I kind of started to get into that bad habit of creating a false metric of success where I was like, we need to be at this rate of sales or this many brands need to have gotten orders. And I feel that level of accountability to our community. But my boyfriend's mom was like, you know, I just listened to you have a two hour, extremely candid and open conversation with your co-founder and who's your CEO, Alana, to have a business partner that you can do that with and come out the other side with and move forward with and have tough conversations with and be on the same page. That is successful. That means you're a successful communicator. That means that you've built a toolkit where you're able to, you know, confront each other, have that one-on-one discussion and come out the other side stronger than before. And so I think women need to hold those moments closer rather than feeling like, oh, I missed my sales goal this month or, oh, I don't have enough Instagram followers or, oh, like, you know, XYZ horrible thing is happening or something is not happening to my business. So therefore I'm unsuccessful. You have to think about all the little micro moments, the learnings, the, you know, things you've trained yourself on that you didn't know a month ago. And, and those should become your new metric um, because benchmarking yourself against another business that is five steps ahead of you or 50 steps ahead of you is very pointless because you have no idea what they tapped or what resources they leveraged to get to that point. And you may not, you may not be able to put yourself on that same path, unfortunately. Yeah. We used to say, remind me what we used to say where everyone has an unfair advantage. Was that how we said it? Yeah. Basically everyone has an, yeah, an unfair advantage. We all have something that put us on some different track with something that is our unfair advantage, right? So like exactly Mm -hmm. what you said, when we compare to others, we have no idea, you know, did they have extra cash that their grandparents left them? Or do they have a best friend that's a celebrity and they can get it on them and fast track it? Um, So there's all these quote unquote unfair advantages. An unfair advantage could be you started a business that did crash and burn and you learn from it and you've rebuilt a second one. So 
I think, and maybe whether it's unfair or fair, but it's that people don't know the true behind the, behind the scenes details as to why they became successful. And I think all of you listening think to yourself, something in your world has brought you success. Even, even starting a business is courageous Yep. And not everybody does it. So it, even if you don't see a revenue like number or metric, like you said, the fact that you took that risk and started a business is so different than so many people around you. So um, there's something there that you had the spark, whether it's talent, creativity, somebody in your family showed you that you could start a business and entrepreneurship, something there. So I, I love this conversation. Yeah. I think that's also a big point in my book. The beginning of my book starts with a paragraph about how most people would silence a dream, keep their feet stuck to the floor, and and stay where they are. Most people measure the leap from where they are and where they want to be, and they say, I don't know how to do that, or that's too much work, or I'm scared and they don't make the leap at all. They don't even move that first centimeter. And that's a lot of what my book is about is if you've made the leap or you've moved that first inch, that makes you successful enough at this point in time. You have done the thing that you need to do for your business today and for this week. And thinking about how far away you are from you know the business you want to have built three years from now is a very silly metric of success because you can only compare yourself to what you could have done in the moment. Um, And most people, to your point, Jacqueline, would much prefer to keep things cushy, keep things comfy, and not challenge themselves to take that baby step toward their dream. For sure. I mean, 100%, most people will do that because they don't want the judgment of other people. You know? Um, so one of the things that you talk about in your book is imposter syndrome. I'm curious about that because that has seemed to be more of something that's been brought into the light, um, post 2019, I feel like, but you wrote this in 2018, 2017, 2018, 2019. I started hearing more about it in, in 2020, I feel like. So it seemed like you were cued into that even before it became like this, you know, buzzword, I guess, you know? So how did that come as to be part of your story? Yeah. So it's a really good question. And frankly, from the story that you told earlier about your parents, I'd love to know your, both of your experiences with this as well, but yours, especially Mina, because imposter syndrome, I think used to be something that I felt like was my fault. Like, I feel like I'm not supposed to be here. I feel like I don't know enough. I feel like I'm inexperienced and undereducated to be doing this. But then the more I studied it and learned about it, the more I realized that imposter syndrome is something that we actually need the wider world and a lot of men to help solve for us. I learned and started studying imposter syndrome when I did Y Combinator, which is a accelerator program. We were actually in the same batch as you know, the guys at FAIR, our friendly little competitors. And we were one of only two female founded, fully female founded companies in our batch. And I, that's when I first started to feel it. I'm usually a very positive, optimistic, confident person with a super sunny outlook. And I started to feel this environment like shrinking me and making me second guess myself and making me feel like I was out of place. And that's when I started looking into it. Um, because the way I was feeling was so against the way that I normally felt day to day. And that's what kind of triggered my realization that 
women can talk about managing imposter syndrome all they want, but the real root of imposter syndrome comes from a representation issue. Um, Imposter syndrome is triggered when people feel like they're in a situation or a circumstance or playing a role that other people that look like them haven't played before. So there's a lot of evidence that women experience imposter syndrome in certain professional environments once they enter the C-suite. There's a lot of evidence that um, different minority communities experience imposter syndrome at a, a higher rate because it's multiple things compounding on each other. You're a woman in the C-suite and you're a black woman. You're a woman in the C-suite and you're an Asian woman. And so the problem with imposter syndrome is external, but I think it's been framed as this internal thing women are tasked with wrestling with when in reality, if we solve a lot of these representation issues and we normalize entrepreneurship for women, we normalize women taking their companies public, we normalize getting more women in the C-suite, imposter syndrome should in theory decrease for all of the people that experience it. Um, So Mina, that's why I was so interested in hearing your story and your experience with it because I have the woman factor, obviously, but it's not really being compounded by anything else. And for you to be in this amazing situation as a business owner with all of this generational advancement, you know, not needing the stimulus check and the role model that you're playing for your children, I'm curious if like you've wrestled with it in even a different way than I have in this kind of tech space as a female founded tech company. The funny thing is that you bring that up and I I totally thought it was an internal thing. I really did. Um, Because growing up, you know, you're taught to express in a certain way. Being an Asian culture, you're never taught to shine or you're immediately taught to assimilate and shrink. You know, and kind well, of in your culture, in your family, because they were refugees, right? Yeah, so that refugees, was... right? But even with the being refugees, it wasn't like to be scrappy and to survive. It was definitely to blend in to survive. You know, and I think with awareness of that, actually, the funny thing is that with my journey in particular, I have that success. And I'm able to, you know, not get the stimulus check and feel this gratitude towards my parents because I know the success, the the sacrifices they made. But I will tell you, I hid everything from them. Mm. So like even the successes now, they don't fully know, you know, that I'm shining bright over here. <laughs> you Very know? Right. Yeah. So I think that it's like, it, it, it's still a little bit of like, that's why I feel like it was so internal. Cause it's like, even in their world, they don't want me to shine so brightly, even though they're very proud of my successes and not having to have the stimulus check and all that stuff. They know that I am successful. They know I go on video, but I think that they still are not sure that that can't, that success comes from putting yourself out there and being a leader. Hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. I think for them, there's still that underrepresentation for in their minds, like, oh, to be successful, you don't blend in. What kind of world is this? You know, an Asian woman, you know, they, you know, even thinking about like, I, I actually have a hyphenated last name, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, there's all these things that are not comfortable for them that we're the first generation that we kind of have these liberties, but in a way we, I still have to hide 50% of it. <laughs> right. And I'm sure, but I'm sure that affects your, or, I mean, I won't assume, but it, mm-hmm. it's highly likely that those external factors contribute to a sense of imposterism. Oh, a hundred percent. 
yeah, versus thinking like, why do I think this way? Something's wrong Mm -hmm. with me. I want to make these thoughts go away. Those thoughts have been planted there and massaged and like nourished over years and years and years of things with your family, things that are specific to your culture, things that are specific to your work environment and the lack of representation in your work environment or at certain tiers uh, of employment, like director or VP or C-suite level within your work environment. So that's, that's something I touch on in the book is there are ways to manage and wrangle imposter syndrome and confront it. And to your point, Mina, like I'm, I get very candid about the downsides of letting imposter syndrome take over. When you let imposter syndrome win, you can't be vocal about your business. You can't seek and pursue opportunities. You can't put yourself in the spotlight because you're worried that if you get in the spotlight, you're going to burn or something horrible is going to happen. And I, I get very candid about being like, look, if, if you still feel Im- imposterism and this is something you deal with, instead of instead of just magically thinking that you can make it go away, why don't you start thinking about the ways that it's hurting you and the way it's hurting your growth in your career and let that be the deterrent rather than feeling like I just shouldn't feel this way and I want it to disappear because it's not your fault. It's going to take a while for it to disappear. There are ways you can manage it, but we need to make a lot of these external structural changes culturally within workplaces and all of it to support women in, in turning down this voice forever. I think that's so important. And, you know, in, in a time right now, there's, you know, there's a lot of conversations about, like you said, representation and speaking up and being heard. And, you know, we, especially in 2020 leaned in with our students and our community to show up, to show their faces that people are buying from people. And so I think that's something also for everyone to think about in terms of representation. Maybe all of you are running your own businesses out of your living rooms and it's just your kids and your dogs and your cats watching you and being like, oh, okay, she's the boss of this business. She's the CEO, you know, in quotes, she's like cleaning up dishes and, you know, processing orders. Right. But we have that, we have access to so many more people on social media, right? So by showing your face and showing the real life behind the scenes of a small business and what it looks like that you can balance homeschool and, you know, have your candle company or your your skincare company or whatever it is, that those little moments of representation are proving it to other women, other people, kids, yeah. teenagers, all the people, and you're leaving this legacy behind that you're leaving, you know, you're showing your represent, your, there's representation there. So, you know, thank you for writing this book. I think it's going to be so impactful. And I love that you were also education forward in it so that it didn't make anyone feel, it sounds like, you know, they like would feel dumb at reading the, you know, um, the chapter where they're like, well, I don't understand what this means, but you'd break it down simply. And I think that's so important, the education part, because not all of us, you know, are able to get our MBAs or even have the time to sort of research the business, but we ended up being business owners nonetheless. Yeah. yeah. And we're good enough as, as we are, as we continue to learn. Even the representation of, you know, women partnerships. I think that that's something that we, you know, as Jacqueline and I are growing and growing so fast, we don't see a lot of women partnerships. We're almost having to, like you said, it's an external thing where we kind of have to pave the way for other people to be like, oh, I get it. Women don't have to be competitive, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, I think that the book is is a perfect representation of that, of, of people, of, of everybody working together and kind of being aware of this collaborative uh, movement of it's not one or the other. You don't have to compete with each other. Definitely. And I I make that point in the book as well. Like the end of the book concludes with the acknowledgement that 
Bulletin only exists and my journey only exists. And we have this massive community of brands and retailers and we opened stores and we had a team because so many women yesed me and yesed Alana along the way. Um, building something from nothing takes a village. It takes a lot of people buying into your ideas, believing you, wanting to pay you, wanting to introduce you to people, wanting to support you. And I'm filled with so much gratitude for every single person that gave us a chance, gave us a second chance, um, you know, said yes to joining our stores. I think about the retailers that before we even had a working marketplace said yes to becoming beta users. And that's what building is. You can't build, you know, the Eiffel Tower as one person. You can't build the Empire State Building as one person. It takes a lot of people moving different pieces. And I write a lot about Alana as well. Um, I, you know, Alana wasn't a big part of the book writing process. It's a book that I wrote on my own. It happens to be about bulletin but she let it be kind of my personal project and gave me that grace and let me do it, which honestly is a lot to say for a CEO running a venture-backed business that's scaling quickly, letting your co-founder and trusting your co-founder to get her stuff done and and write a book at the same time. Um, But I write a lot about the nature of our relationship because to your point, Mina, I want it to be inspiring to other women. I want people to know that they don't need to compete with the woman that they're, you know, sitting next to at work. They don't need to compete with, you know, a woman they're working with cross-functionally. If you run a candle brand, who's to say that another another candle brand is your competitor, right? Like maybe they'll launch new product categories and you eventually want to partner down the line. Um, so it was really nice to reflect on me and Alana's relationship and be able to have a place to write about it and speak about it and and just praise her because to be totally candid, I feel like she is really the first adult female relationship I've had that has felt so ego-free, so supportive, so empowering. And she completely, she's four years older than me. You know, she plucked me up when I was 24 and she saw something in me that I didn't yet see in myself at that age. So the only reason I am here at all, I have a business, I have a book is because Alana, she was the first woman who yesed me and the first one who believed in me and just really excited for people to learn more about her and meet her uh, because she's a bit, she's a, a bit more reserved than I am. Um, and, and there's so much about her to, to love and just be inspired by. Yeah, I think I see that so much with Bulletin. I see that in your book and everything that it's really about holding a space for each other. And that's what really, you know, like Jacqueline very much holds a space for me and kind of pulls me up into that space when I don't want to be <laughs> in, in, a, in a great way, right? Like she wants me to shine as bright as I can shine. And then same with the people in our community and same with me with her is that we're holding spaces for each other. And I think that that is something that's going to, we're going to see a lot more of and what we hope to gain from, you know, all of our efforts and pushing our community to show up is that we all hold a space for each other, whether or not you're a candle company, you know, and another candle company. So I love that. And your book, I cannot wait until we all can you know, have a book club over it and, you know, with the, with our community. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. (laughs) Like it's someone, I didn't realize my publisher was sending copies out to people and someone posted the book yesterday and I'm like, who is this woman who has my book? (laughs) My book, like, and I recorded an audio book too. And there's, there's this excitement, but also this kind of tension and anxiety about like releasing these words out into the world and knowing that people are just going to be able to pick it up and read it or listen to it. It feels very out of body. It it still doesn't feel real to me at all. 
Well, we are so excited for you and so glad that we could support you and have you on the podcast and just let our audience know about obviously Bulletin because you've been so supportive of the brands that we work with, but then your book and being an author and being vulnerable and setting and paving this path and letting people see that the light, right? Like letting them see their journey and, and um, measure success. So your book drops on April 6th. April 6th. And you can check, check out the Today Show at 9am on April 6th if you want to learn more. I feel like we should compete with the Today Show. Maybe we'll drop this the same day as the Today <laughs> oh, no, Show. That's, not, that's called blitzing, right? That's called <laughs> launching or yeah, we're part of your launch that's team. Cool. Yeah. So we'll have the Today Show and then Jacqueline and Mina over here. You know, it'll be a great party. <laughs> okay. We'll see how that interview goes. It's going to be nothing like this one. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much. So let our listeners know how they can connect with you, how they can pre-order or buy the book. Um, just let everyone know how they can get all the amazing things that you have. Yeah. I think the easiest thing would be to just follow me on Instagram. I use a platform called Norby for my link in bio. They make it super easy to link out to a bunch of pre-order links. You can pre-order from indie bookstores or mass bookstores through that link. Um, I have a ton of events coming up for the book launch. I'm doing a few panels with brands that sell on Bulletin. Um, The first one is a bootstrapping beauty panel with the founders of Fur, uh, as well as Jamika, the founder of Rosen Skincare. Um, We're also doing a panel on crowdfunding. We're also doing a panel on building your brand on Instagram. So honestly, go to my Instagram. It's, it has everything. It's at Allie Kriegs. It's A-L-I-K-R-I-E-G-S. Awesome. Perfect. And you will be able to find how to, well, you know, I think we're going to plan on dropping this when they can actually order it. So yeah, get the yeah. book. Message we'll Allie when you get it. For them. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Let her know you love the book. Let's support a fellow female entrepreneur. And um, thank you again for being on the podcast. Thank you. You thanks, ladies Allie. are the best. And yeah, thanks to everyone. Thank you for being here and listening all the way through the Product Boss Podcast. If you love our show and it has helped you in any way in your business, would you mind doing two things for us? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Reviews help other product entrepreneurs know that this is the place to be to grow their businesses and realize that they're not alone. And we know that you all know that a five-star and honest review helps you sell more products to more people. So you know that your reviews help us reach more listeners around the world. Remember, what we give is what we receive. And we are all about helping each other in the Product Boss community. We are all in this together. We would be so appreciative of you if you could take the time right now to subscribe, leave a review, and even share this episode on social or someone you know so we can impact more lives. And remember, subscribing means that you will get notified each time we release a new episode so you never miss a thing. You have helped us grow and climb into the top 10 of all marketing podcasts and together we can keep climbing. Thank you, friends. And remember, there is room at the top for all of us. This episode is brought to you by the shop one in five pledge. We believe that when you purchase from a small online or offline business, your dollar goes further. Hey friends, Mina and I created the shop one in five pledge, and we're inviting you to take the pledge with us. It's a commitment to make one in five of your purchases from a small business online or offline. It's a way to make an impact together where and when it matters most, because the truth is your purchasing power matters now more than ever. We're inviting you to take the pledge. If you head to shop one in five 
pledge.com. The link is in the show notes. And when you get there, please make sure to share the pledge with your friends, your family, and your customers. Let's invite everyone to take the Shop One in Five pledge so that we can all use our purchasing power to change lives.